I have this great um, sample group of advanced AI people. They're my three daughters. I have two teenagers and one almost teenager. And I literally watch them because the TikTok uh, expectation, uh, the for you page, right? So you are now being fed what you should care about, about things you care about in video and text, etc. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going fantastically, Josh. How are you? <laughs> going great. Question for you. Yes. When's the last time you sent, whether a person or a business, a question or some sort of correspondence through fax? If I can't remember, does that mean that it's been a long time ago? <laughs> Probably. I think that, that, that that's a, a sufficient <laughs> answer to the question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why do you ask? Well, thinking about different ways that people communicate with one another and the ways that people communicate with businesses, that something like a fax machine uh, was at one time a, a primary communication tool. It was listed in, you know, in brochures and, uh, and even on websites and in marketing collateral and all of that. And if you just think of how it's evolved, just the ways that people communicate over the phone, via email, via social media, uh, you know, it's, it's always fun to think about just the next level ways that people are able to communicate with businesses and in our case, in the attractions industry. And also probably how people communicate with each other. Well, that's true. Right. Too. <laughs> you know, people to people. Um, but then you take it to the the business level, and how do you know you're getting the information to the right people, or how do you know you're getting the right information back? Right. right? Um, so, looking for information about tickets or information about how um, you know a policy is is uh, enforced. That's all information that people are looking for when they are coming to an attraction. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you think about the amount of information that people need, the way that that's organized and the way that it's able to be found uh, will really determine how many resources you're exerting towards that. So if you think of, you know, staffing a, a call center who's answering phone calls, responding to emails, even responding to social media, it's extremely important that that information gets to the guests. But there's also technology that's able to alleviate some of that that helps to maximize the value of the resources of those staff members. And that's going to tie in nicely with the conversation and the interview that we have today. We have Don White from Satisfy Labs. He's the co-founder and CEO. And what they do is they help organizations communicate with their guests, right? In very, very different ways and do it in a way that is not about replacing the staff that they have, but actually kind of adding to the org chart, as he says, looking at ways that, you know, a, a team member can't necessarily or doesn't have the, the resources to 
you know, be on call at midnight so that they can answer all these minutiae, you know, granular questions that someone has. But some um, uh, a program with AI can absolutely do that. Yeah, and it's really fascinating to hear his take on it and saying this is not just about eliminating labor. Uh, I know we're having a lot of staffing shortages in the in the industry, so it's obviously it's a solution for that. Uh, but it's not just about replacing staff members with a bot. It's being able to support them and, like you said, doing the roles that a staff member can't necessarily do during the times that maybe the staff aren't necessarily working. Uh, and, and what's interesting is they call it the answer engine, which uh, is almost almost like similar, but kind of like the opposite of a search engine. So when you pull up a search engine, you're looking for multiple different responses that, you know, and, and results from it that you can then pick to find out what's going to be best for you. The answer engine gives you the answer. And right. it's cool to hear how Satisfied Labs focuses on, on using AI to collaborate multiple different departments together within the organization, because our industry is so complex from that standpoint and getting the answer to the guest in a timely matter in a digital format. So speaking of answers and the right answer, I'm afraid I don't know that much about this. I've learned a lot listening to Don, and I think instead of me talking about this anymore, let's go ahead and get Don on the interview and uh, talk about himself and Satisfy Labs. All right, let's do it. Hey, Don, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. We're really excited to chat with you today. How are you? Great. Thanks for asking. Absolutely. Uh, so to get this started, can you give us just a, a quick intro? Tell us a little bit about you as well as Satisfy Labs. Yeah, my name is Don White, uh, CEO, co-founder with my partner, Randall Newman. We were ex-algorithmic trading designers. I worked for Bloomberg, you worked for CIBC came together around an idea of how to make information more accessible for places that people go, a zoo, an aquarium, museum, uh, theme park, any, anything in the attraction, tourism space, as well as sporting events. Came together and said, hey, we build this thing. We said, probably not, but let's try to figure it out anyway. And we birthed the company in 2016. The problem that we're solving is it's really a staffing challenge where you have so many visitors, so few employees. I think you guys both know that really well. How could you create a digital relationship that makes the guest experience optimized, but also still provides enough ability for personalization, especially for the people that are on site, but not all this information having to be transferred repetitiously. That's what we set out to do. And so far, it's been going well. Awesome. There's a lot to unpack there, Don, and we're going to get to all of it. Um, but I'm curious kind of about the origin story. Why attractions? Why, you know, did you did you focus on this particular um, industry and the information part of it? Like, where did all, all that germinate from? I'd love to tell you I had this amazing vision. It was somewhat accidental. We were trying to find data that was hard to acquire and how could attractions or places like that learn about their customer. Uh, Randy was looking at a menu at a, a big event and he goes, hey, do you know they have bacon on a stick there? And I asked, oh my God, that sounds amazing. Like, Where can we get bacon on a stick? And so we actually created like a little web app and put where can I find bacon on a stick at the top and everybody slams this thing. And there was this, I think he was called the pork guy. The pork guy now gets a line of people there. And so it really kicked off the, how do you start to search physical locations? And that's really where the idea took off. 
That's awesome. That's, that is a, a very cool origin story. Thanks so much for sharing that. I, can you expand a little bit more on particularly how, uh, how you integrate with attractions in order to, I would say, enhance the guest communication, get them answers quickly, or ultimately like get them, whether it's to the port guy or whether it's to buy tickets or a membership or, uh, or, uh, you know, or a ticket to a game. So the system is designed to learn by providing information in a certain format. We basically canvas, let's say, an attraction and say, well, here's our template of information or knowledge that we need to communicate what the guests ask for consistently. So based on the 350 locations we work with, we actually share all this knowledge to every client. I'll then go to Josh and say, hey, you run this attraction. Could you just answer these 50 odd questions for me or point me in the direction of where they are. The system then has learned uh, about 13 million different ways people ask for things to optimize their experience. Here's a fun fact. Unlike an ATM where to get money, you just push a few buttons and do what the machine says. When people speak to AI, they want the AI to adapt to them as opposed to asking things in a way that is simple. How do I buy a ticket? is rarely asked, how do you get me in? I wanna ride the stuff, I wanna see the animal. That's how people ask for ticketing. So the information is quite diverse and, and learned, but the real value is the humans at the attraction help us train to suit for their experience. So you do have a human supervision, but the automation is something that's been learned and, and trained over time. Don, a minute ago, you mentioned the digital relationship, and I'm wondering if you can kind of unpack that for us a little bit. What does that mean? You know, people look at the website. It's really a stale method of talking to your customer because it, it forces you to click and look around and find the right stuff. Maybe your websites are amazing. Um, mine's <laughs> not, and I, I have a company. But think about when people go into Google, and they're that, that entry point, that's where they go for information first. People like to ask and just get. Well, what we do is we usually are placed on a website on the front or in the front of the app so people can get information through a conversation, which is their preferred method. So that digital relationship starts with information transfer being in a way people want to learn or be taught. And that's really what, what we've done. The mission statement of the company is make conversational AI hireable. Conversational AI is the tech that can enable conversation. Hireable means we want to actually create a new staffing asset, not replace people. I know a lot of AI companies that want to do that. I think that's uh, inappropriate and wrong, but more aren't there new staff opportunities for the volume of guests that might not be reachable by the human staff, including off hours. So that's more what we're doing, creating a new org chart, not trying to displace the staff that's available today. Mm. Yeah, and I know we can definitely even dive deeper into that. But before we do, I'm curious just about, uh, you know, so people like to ask and just get, is this sort of like, this is like an evolution of just how we've been using the internet. Like has Google just become so easy that it's just everyone's homepage that I just pull up a browser and just start typing and expect to get the answers. And now I expect that on any other website that I've gotten, like how, like, I guess, has, has, or has it always been this way? 
Sidebar, Google's one of our largest investors. So all, they're great. <laughs> Say nothing about them. It, it actually started with that on-demand Siri, you know, I could use Apple too, that mentality. But if you look at COVID, the amount of digital, forced digital communication, even with ordering food. I mean, I have daughters. They now have an expectation that food will drop at our door. They don't even have to talk to the person or tip them physically. Like they're now like, oh, I already took care of it. And they'll actually sit and watch them drive in. They'll wait for them to leave the front of the house and go get their thing. So this, the, our, our volume went up nine or 10 X um, through and after COVID. Cause now that people have found the information's available, they're actually increasing the velocity of expectation. So although you're right, the evolution started, you know, five years ago. 2021 to now, it's exponentially greater than it was. So how do you balance the not replacing an employee with actually adding that employee experience like you talked about, right? Like adding adding staff to the org chart that you don't have to pay or feed, but, you know, you have to, um, you know, uh, I guess, uh, program and, 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 and support that way. So... That, that's something I'm really curious about. Like, how do you balance that? How do, how do they not replace somebody? It's, it's important. We focus on roles. So rather than have like, you know, if you, if you think about the bot market, which is, I put that in quotes for you people listening. I have quote marks on my hands. <laughs> you know, I, that's a frustrating market because it feels like it's a deflection. I want to get rid of you. I have FAQs and, you know, a, a real person's not ready. So could you please talk to this kind of like we used to call a phone and hit one, two, three or four, and then mm -hmm. hit zero as many times. So it's not about that. We look at roles that people can't potentially fulfill. I'll give you an example. We have a food and beverage assistant. Its job is literally to just help every guest maximize their food experience, whether it's allergies for the kids or you know, some dietary restriction, but that's their job. So for every of the 1 million guests that go to this attraction, they can optimize their food experience by dialoguing about what they wanna get, how much it is and where, and where it might be. So there's no employee at an attraction who can run around and make that for every single guest. So that's a role that a human shouldn't necessarily be you know, thought to do, but AI can do. Hmm. Health and safety, we have a health and safety assistant. Their whole job is to make sure, particularly in the last two years, that people are prepared for entry and what the requirements are and how they could feel safe. And again, there's no employee that could run around and potentially provide that information at scale, but, but our assistant can. So we're very role focused and the ROI and how we report is in those those silos, that's, I think, one thing that differentiates our approach to the technology. Interesting. And with those particular roles being replaced or, or being fulfilled. Cre created. Uh, yeah. That, yeah, or created. I, does it also then, I, and I can imagine that for the remainder of the staff, uh, that it, it probably, they're able to now exert more of their energy towards I would say bigger fish, if that makes sense. You know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in, in guest communications as well. And I, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of time of just like 
kind of answering some copy and paste type of questions that are, it, it almost is like busy work versus when those can be removed or at least automated and those guests are, are able to be a little bit more self-service. Well, now I'm able to focus more times on, all right, this is like, this is a guest who actually needs a lot more attention. They had a, a bigger issue. Um, this is something that, you know, that also can't be, you know, resolved just, you know, through, or they, they can't be resolved through AI. And this actually like needs the human touch, but now I actually have more bandwidth to do that. Are you seeing that as well? Yeah. I mean, in, in the last episode, and for those of you that haven't listened to it, I recommend it. Bill Morris <laughs> said that he had an example of a basketball celebrity that was visiting his location. And there was a certain employee that kind of identified that and reached out to them to make their experience better. That can't happen if you're also dealing with all the food and all the health and safety and all the ticketing and these these questions where I think it's important the guest experience is optimized if they get the information in real time and it's accurate and available like they're happy the special member the members or people that need extra time are also happy if they're getting a higher personalized high touch experience because the availability of staff has been shifted potentially so I agree with you Josh I think it opens up opportunities uh, I don't know an AI would have helped that basketball player that, that Bill Moore referenced. I don't know what programming it could have done to be that proactive, but I think it would create more time to identify those opportunities and, and make the most of them. So what's the delivery method? Is this something that people access through an app on their phone? Is it something on their computer? Like if you're going to say, go to a specific attraction, how do you access these assistants that you have? 99% are on the front page. Um, if you go to a Georgia Aquarium or you know, Zoo Atlanta or Zoo Tampa, I think we work with about 50 uh, or so now. It's literally usually pops up at you and says like, you know, how can I help you? Some of them are very aspirational. They'll say, um, ask me anything. Uh, we have one client who has brought the persona of a dog. And so the dog actually talks to you. My dogs don't speak audibly, but if you're a dog owner, you know, they speak like through their mind meld. But so everyone puts a little bit of a persona on it. We do also app, uh, Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, any of those modalities are available because what we've built is a database. And then the channels, SMS would be included in that. The channel is up to the client and they typically go as far and wide as they can. But the website is still number one. When you talk about those different personas, the you know the one that says "ask me anything," the one that is that's the voice of a dog, or the persona of a dog, <laughs> how much of that is consultative on your end versus turning it over to them and uh, kind of just just saying kind of like giving free reign or saying like we actually recommend you kind of stay within these boundaries or these parameters to ensure optimal success? No, it's a good it's a good it's a fascinating thing because we. We've seen a range. Uh, a lot of people say, well, I want to make it really personal and, and humanistic. And I say, you know, you never want to mislead someone into what they're, they're doing. I actually have an early example where someone tried to ask it out on a date. It was, it was literally hysterical because it kept finding them the best drink for the best beer. They're looking for certain beer and then another beer and then and then after the event, there was a happy hour available. And they go, oh, but can I still get a beer? They go, oh, yes. Well, if you have this ticket to this place, you, you can get 30 more minutes of, of drink. And they're like, well, will you come meet me there? And 
and the the system got a little confused with the romantic language it was like thank you please have a good night or something it's like a <laughs> hard stop so we do encourage that people know what they're engaging with because you want to differentiate to a certain extent when a person is coming in to handle a more complex thing versus when i know what i can get from this you know system i was referencing it like an ATM earlier, I know what I can get from an ATM. So I know how to engage and, and what's going to make me happy. But if I have to do some complicated transaction, I'm walking inside because I need to have a more deep convo. That's our recommendation. That's why I like the dog. No one really thinks there's a dog on the other side. Maybe <laughs> some do, but it creates that still fun, funny, funny engagement that people like without the asking it out on a date, which I've seen. Yeah. Um, I would like to maybe go back just a little bit and talk kind of on the tech side, because I'm not really a techie guy, right? But when you think about some of the things that people have interacted with that you've talked about, the bots and, you know, the the um, the, the number trees on a phone and things like that, that can get very, very frustrating. What is it that makes this so different? Obviously, it's, it's learning, you know, there's different programming, but like from a fundamental um and maybe it, maybe it is programming, but from a fundamental uh, basis, what makes this so different? There's the the name. The core product is called an answer engine. We chose that terminology because a search engine, you're essentially looking for results, and you know which of these things fits what I was trying to accomplish. An answer engine is designed to say, well, here's the answer to your question as exact and accurate as possible. But the tech underneath, I'll, I'll describe it. I'm, I'm a fake techie. Like, yes, I have a tech background, but my partner and, and our dev team does all the hard work. I just take credit for it, that they actually do most of it. So the difference is we program the system kind of like you would learn in school. So you didn't learn biology and calculus and social studies in the same 10 minute interval. Like you went to different classes and you built up knowledge over time. So the reason that we're role-based is each assistant gets taught only about their thing that we'll call it context. And then they become really good at it because it's, it's subject matter. The answer engine sits up high and goes, oh, I actually think this is a ticketing question. Hey, ticketing assistant, tell me exactly what they want. Oh, this is health and safety. Oh, this is um, food and beverage or something about the venue or transportation. So each one knowing only its area is then tapped to supply a better answer. It means then that we can get very granular. And, and as long as the answer engine knows at least conceptually where to go, it works. So there's a lot of opportunity there for growth, but it is what makes us unique in, in how we designed and, and deploy the system. Did that make sense? Did that like- Yes, yes, you thank you. I'm curious then then how that uh, is is built and I would say like co-created with the client. You mentioned you, you touched on it a little bit towards the beginning, but it sounds like there are multiple stakeholders from multiple departments because the, the way you described it is almost you'd insert the question and then it a certain department would grab it out and, yeah. and answer it so that there needs to be a, a wide variety of input across the organization, especially if you're working with theme parks, zoos, you know, uh, sports arenas and things like that, which are very departmentally complex. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a blessing and a curse. Uh, when we first designed, we first marketed the system 
it was like the super, it was only called the answer engine. It was like a super box, like, oh, it knows everything. And then the challenge run into is, is similarly some department has to like take this orphan machine and adopt it. And then they'd only kind of care about their thing. And then whatever was outside their department would kind of get left to the side. So by showing them and reporting in the roles, we have found that now there's a bigger room because now ticketing goes, well, I, I, I have my assistant helping me. And then the health and safety or security go, well, I have mine helping me. So there is a lot more coordination inside the organization. A ride, you know, trying to pick out what ride I should go on and the height that's required. And is there a wait time? We do all that stuff. So we have found that digital, usually the head of digital is actually our, our buyer. And then they coordinate throughout and involve who they, they need to. But it is, it's a great point. And we really couldn't solve a staffing problem with a singular entity. So although the tech was designed the way I described it, it actually does make it for an easier conversation with the impact uh, of, a, of an attraction. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was curious about too is on your website, you, you have a, a number of case studies um, mm. and you know talking about how this actually works and what the impact is. So I'm wondering if you could kind of walk us through some of that. Like, I mean, just talking about it now, it sounds really cool, right? But what's the what's the business ROI that you're finding? Yeah, I'm glad. Thank you for going to our website. I will take that hit and marketing will say they did something that uh, <laughs> made that happen. The, the, the ROI, back to Josh's point, is, is very department dependent. So we kind of have multiple, but in ticketing... Uh, with the right integration, we actually sell the ticket. Like we have ticketing integrations where people will say, hey, how do I buy a ticket? And we'll say, well, how many do you need? And what kind of pass do you want? And literally here, put your credit card in here and, and buy. For So that's an easy one, you know, conversions. Then you have the, well, how many hours of questions did we answer? I think that's one of the recent ones on the site, which is not just during working hours, um, Bill Moore also referenced the nine to five flexibility of time. And some people will now, if they work from home, shift their schedules, right? Well, who's talking to people that want to visit your attraction from 6 p.m. to 4 a.m.? And what if I told you that a third of our volume is in that range? So again, back to the org chart growth expansion. It's also just about people typically aren't up at midnight trying to help the guest who's just thinking about their next zoo or theme park visit get what they need in the time that they want. So that's kind of the, the ROI is usually the number of hours uh, that is being saved, sales or lead, leads created. And then third and finally, the value of data. If I showed you what the guests are, how they pre-plan their trip, what they're curious about, what stops them from attending, what stops them from membership or what they want to know before they become a member. That data really impacts your marketing, your signage and all those things. And it's unique. There's no, there's no data like it in the world, candidly. And this is eye-opening uh, when you walk through it. I would love to dive even, even further into the data side of it as far as what they're collecting. Does it uh, obviously if it's sending them to certain answers, it means that it's, it's, 
tabulating what specific questions are being mm -hmm. asked. Can you expand upon that? I, I would say like on the, the value of that intelligence and then follow that and say, okay, well, what decisions can the organization make from the questions that are coming in? Yeah, it's, it's, it's what you said. So the, the system basically has created, I think it's X hundred thousand categories of quick query. So if you say, how do I buy a ticket? How can I bring my, does my son need a ticket? Um, how do I get into the park with a wheelchair? Each of those actually could be segmented as a general ticket buyer, a kid's ticket buyer, and an ADA uh, ticket buyer. So we'll segment all the different ways to get there in, into that. Then what happens is we track it either by time, uh, by day, you know, over periods of time, and then go back to the client and say, look, so are you signaging or are you, when you're pitching your marketing, talking about ADA access? Are you doing a promotion about kids? The answers are also important. What do you want to say? Do you want to say like, kids are welcome and here's how to do it, or you just want to send them to, or here's where, where all tickets are. So we do get extremely granular and then the client just has to decide how to maximize it, whether in our experience or outside of it. But you would know with a high degree of accuracy what a large sample of your guests are thinking about. Because when you think about something, you search it. Even if you're just curious, is there parking there? Quick example is COVID. And I know that was a terrible time for everybody in this industry. We were, we almost, you know, took the, a nosedive. It came, you know, we kind of got a little close and then someone pulled up. If you've seen Maverick, he does that a couple of times. <laughs> but we, you know, we saw when people, when COVID started, even in mid 2020, the number one question from people wanting to reattend attractions wasn't about health and safety. It was about ticket policies. They were curious if they could get a refund. So it was ticketing questions one, health and safety two. It wasn't, I'm so concerned about my health going to visit a zoo or a theme park, et cetera. It was more like, hey, I just want to know if I can get my money back. And then, and it was like 40%, 10%, like it was a huge shift. So based on our data, on our analysis, there was a higher degree of interest in ticket policies than health and safety concerns upon the return from, from COVID. Have you thought of, or has other, have other people thought of using this also on the employee side? Cause I know earlier you talked a little bit about information and um, education, right? So employees have questions, right? They may have things that they need to learn about their jobs and things like that. Is this also being applied there? Yeah, we did three early stage, we did three recent pilots of it because someone said the same thing. It's fascinating because you can almost um, measure training quality through it. It's particularly if you have temp staff, temp or seasonal staff, like you put them through some training program and, and, and it's a little, I hope I'm talking to mostly the executives. I think that is your core audience because yeah. once you leak this downstream, it becomes a bit problematic. But if Matt's on my seasonal staff and I just trained him on you know, how to introduce, let's say, either getting a larger space or a birthday party organization or something like that. And he goes, um, what's the policy for birthdays again? And he asked it three times. We know Matt wasn't listening 
And I, was it a Matt problem or did Matt and Josh both not understand that policy? And now we have a training problem. So we have a bunch of people right now using it on the employee side just to see what the employees are unclear on because it's helping them immediately. I know you're a training person, so yeah. you'd probably get <laughs> that as a, as a pretty foundational use case. Which is why I asked. I was, I mean, my, my gears are turning now, like, you know, of, of all those things that, you know, you talk about, you know, these roles that these assistants are playing, you know, providing information. Well, live employees do that too. And then there's so many things that they have to know and they have to be um, cognizant of and, and knowledgeable about that to have that kind of interact for them to have an assistant if you will, yeah, right? yeah. Would, yeah. Would, would be very helpful. It, very much of a learning aid and, and, and a teacher. It's, it's there. And what we actually create is the answers for the employee is different than what the public sees. So obviously that, but it's, it's actually the same question typically phrased, right? Because the employee, some might ask the employee, hey, what's this? And you type it in and we'll write, tell the guest this <laughs> or guide the guest towards this, whereas the guest is getting a more. So it's two databases, one internal, one external. And yeah, it's a great use case and it's new for us. We just started doing it, I think in the last year about. That's interesting to see kind of, uh, it's it's like two sides of the same coin right there, being able to, to kind of hit it on both ends there. So uh, so that's cool. Um, so Matt did mention talking about not just, you know, information, but about education. There was one thing that uh, uh, you mentioned before we started recording, and that was about the animal finder. And so uh, in addition to information such as tickets, hours, and policies, et cetera, uh, you talked about uh, being able to help guests also I uh, also learn more, particularly if they are, you know, at, at zoos or aquariums uh, and being able to ju uh, just enhance their visit, even if it's not a specific logistics question about their visit. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's uh, totally not my idea. Take no credit for it. Atlanta Zoo gets the cred. I think we publicly credit them as well. It's funny when we were tracking some of the data, I believe it was actually in 2020, one of the top questions was where are the penguins? So this could have been aware of the penguins company. It's a bacon on a stick company, but I guess people care as much about the penguins. And they're like, hey, you know, with maps, maps are paper with COVID, there's going to be a pullback on, you know, physical things that we hand guests. Could we digitize the animal search experience? It kind of then exploded into a lot of ideas because now what we built is a database. We're also AZA members, by the way, mm. um, a database of a bunch of different species and animals so that we could also listen for the animals people are interested in seeing, not just the ones available at their, their local attraction. And that could apply to rides, that could apply to food, it could apply to anything. I mean, once you build this kind of a database, you're learning even what you don't have. And so people are like, where's the red panda? Because that's a popular character now. And they happen to have like a panda cam. So we can now surface that asset that they invested in, but make it easy to find. And now all the kids and ones that visit can say, hey, by the way, if you just want to know where the red panda is, just ask it. Where's the red panda? And, and you can get it. So I was fascinated with the use case. I didn't understand fully the guest experience was challenged with it, but we got a nice uh, write-up in Cool Blind Tech that said they actually were promoting it to people that are visually impaired as, hey, 
look at this technology. It's going to help us navigate a, a trash ex experience more because it's also applicable in voice. So we do work in voice and text. Mm. And hopefully that'll help someone that I didn't know the tech could help. So that was pretty mm. cool to, to see that come about. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like it could also it kind of, it, it sounds like an encyclopedia in some ways. Obviously, some of it is is specific to the venue. But if somebody says, you know, why are flamingos pink? If they're standing at a flamingo exhibit, if they're at this zoo or this zoo or this zoo or this zoo, you're able to to serve them from a central data. Do I, do I understand that correctly? Yes. Uh, yes. Now, one of the limitations of AI is you do need to scope what it does and doesn't do. Like one of the reasons we actually went uh, this role-based model is when you create this black box, like a Google, listen, there's one Google, I hate to break it. I don't know who their competitor is, I guess, Bing, if, if you have that on your computer, I don't, but like, you know, it's ask me anything is a bit, um, it's a bit of a high bar. So the role-based is so that, yes, if we have an animal finder, it's meant to find them. If you ask me how many feathers are on a flamingo, it's probably going to tell you either I'll, I'll, I'll take that under consideration for the future, or uh, you can find the penguin here, go count them kind of a, you know, in a nice optimized way. So AI can be trained, but it needs to know where its knowledge stops and ends. That's one of the limitations between AI and human. You can talk about all the machine learning stuff we listen to, but machines teaching themselves, you know, some Avenger could come out and, you know, be Tony Stark's buddy. Like there's a lot of room between now and there still. So we're still in the place where we have to decide its use case, narrow it down. People need to still customize it to their guest and tell it what to do and what not to do. But the little like edge cases, you just have to know that ahead of time. I don't know that it would be able to interpret that without having seen it at least once. So there's so many cool things that you're talking about. And, you know, even as a non-techie guy, I'm thinking, wow, there's lots of applications, right? Where is the limit or is there a limit? Like what's, what's the future look like? Right now, we're working on some metaverse stuff, like the, the avatar, um, you know, where, where that goes, there's a lot, there's a kind of a bunch of different opinions on it. We just worked, uh, we just involved in a project that created like a Fortnite experience for an attraction and you could walk in there and do a bunch of stuff, chat with your friend, dress up like you wanted to. So I think that the digital communication is just going to skyrocket, particularly with technology like that, where, okay, I'm in this new world and how do I experience the most of it? Do I get like a mini concierge sidekick? I still think we're a little ways away from self-learning AI. Like uh, we're still pretty much in the supervised learning. I did just see a demo of a company that we're friends with that you can teach it facts and it generates its own personality, which is like pretty, um, pretty out there. <laughs> it's, it's a fascinating demo to watch. But right now I think we're in a safe place where and I'm, I'm biased to it, but this, this role-based application is, I think, the most fruitful and, and makes sense to the org. So I would limit it now to let's give AI the right jobs. Let's, mm -hmm. let's not try to go too much beyond that for the foreseeable future. Mm. And then in terms of guest communication, just where do you see that continue to go just as whether, whether it's 
through AI, or even if it's just thinking, you know, just just further into the future of of just, you know, if if you look at, uh, you know, what this is today compared to, you know, many years ago where it was, you know, purely phone call or it was letter or it was email or it was fax, you know, and that this is leaps and bounds to be thinking, well, okay, well, what's, you know, what's even further than this as well? I have this great um, sample group of advanced AI people. They're my three daughters. I have two teenagers and one almost teenager. And I literally watch them because the TikTok uh, expectation, uh, the for you page, right? So you are now being fed what you should care about, about things you care about in video and text, et cetera. Where this needs to go quickly is there's going to have to be some uh, combination or standardization of how companies share their insights or abilities so that as Josh is in his house tomorrow thinking, hey, what should I be doing? What should I be planning for my next week or two with my 18-month-old? Oh, hey, by the way, Josh, the Tampa Zoo or the Atlanta Zoo or fill in the blank uh, Universal Studios is having a 18-year-old night and your toddler gets in free. Like, there has to be a connection where communication is not just, you know, in today's world, it's I have to go get it. How could I take all of the data and just start to provide you really narrow things? I'm frustrated with J. Crew. I know it's not an attraction, but I've been shopping there for 20 years. I've never bought shoes from them. Uh, that shoe ad you sent me yesterday is not going to tilt me. Like it's not going to, but I'd buy another blazer if you threw it at me tomorrow, regardless of color, as long as I don't have it. So we, we actually created something where you could subscribe to a specific answer to only be texted that. When are you going to get a red panda here, as an example? Oh, we don't have any of those. Do you want us to text you when we do bring them in? Or when is Halloween night? Or when is kids eat free? So I believe the future is a very granular subscription to information, not this mass marketing that we're still inundated with an email today. And so where's the balance of that? Because I think so much of going to an attraction is experiencing things you've never experienced before and you didn't even set out to experience. So I totally get that, you know, focusing on marketing to what you've already shown that you have an interest in and that you like and that you've probably purchased before. Um, but is there an element to this of finding new things that you've never, you never thought you would have been, ex, you know, um, excited about, but here's this new thing. And, oh my gosh, now I have to go down that rabbit hole. Like shoes from Jacob. Yeah. Like shoes <laughs> I from know. Jacob, exactly. I knew, I know. Now I have to go see if I have to try some on. Um, <laughs> you're, you're totally right. I, I think what's interesting is what we find is that it's more important for me to connect with you on the thing you're interested in to show you the thing you should be interested in, as opposed to blast you with the nine things and hope you hit one. Mm. So for example, we work with um, Wicked, the musical, which is you know not an attraction, but it's, it's relevant because of its branding. You can subscribe to casting changes because you actually just want to know like if a super a star is coming back you ever have those like someone's coming back one night or sometimes it's about an understudy but when you get that information there's other things that are brought along with it so even though i'm providing you very granular info you want i'm also appending something else oh you were interested in halloween well what about 
the holidays or what about a pumpkin thing? So you're right. It's you have to still find ways to get people to see the bigger picture. But we're seeing that if you give people the answer they want, they're more open to that suggestion as opposed to just me throwing it all out there. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Don, this has been uh, so fascinating. And uh, as we start to wind this down here, uh, if people wanted to get a hold of you directly or if they wanted to learn more about Satisfy Labs, where would you send them? Um, given your audience, my email is easy. It's don, D-O-N, at satisfy, with an I, labs.com. Uh, happy to connect with anyone on this podcast. I mean, if you send it to all your friends, like you might be a little delay on response time. <laughs> Our website is um, satisfylabs.com. There's probably a link there. There is a link there to get to some general thing, but you can reach out to me directly and happy to chat about either things I've said you agree with or don't agree with or to you know your organization and, and its potential uniqueness. So there's one last question that I that I have, and you know, we'll let this kind of be the last thing that we, we really focus on is that, again, we've talked a lot of, about a lot of really cool stuff and cool tech and things like that. But I know that there's people out there thinking AI is not for me. I don't even know how to spell AI. This is, you know, nowhere I want to go with my interaction. What do you say to those folks that they're not seeing the, the, the potential? How many of your guests use Google? And if the answer is none, then yeah, this is not, <laughs> this is probably not for you. <laughs> Google is the largest you know, AI provider of information in the world and we all go there. So this is just providing a privatized Google for your brand where you're getting all the information and controlling the guest experience. So that, that, that's exactly it. Quick, funny story. When I first got into the attractions business, I brought a four foot humanoid robot that we had trained to a AZA conference and thought that that would be our entry into the market. And the first zookeeper who happened to be at the conference that saw it, it just freaked out. <laughs> Everybody talk about, I use it in some of the classes that I teach as they don't know your market, know your customer, don't bring robots to zoo and aquarium conventions. <laughs> it just throws off the whole thing. So. We've gotten a little better at our, our marketing since then, but yeah, it's not the humanoid iRobot running around, which is literally what I brought. It's more about the Google search. And I think that's applicable to everybody. Absolutely. Nice. Excellent. I, Don, this has been so fascinating. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here on the podcast today. We really appreciate your time. Uh, and for everyone out there who's watching and listening, just remember, we are all attraction pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.